This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property or at least as much as we can squeeze into this short format. We've got a couple of things happening around Manawatu that we'll talk about today with regards to new social housing and new housing developments. As well as that, we'll go on and talk a little bit about rents and what's happening with rents going up, etc. and why. As well as that, we'll have a look at what the market's likely to do next year and finish off with a little bit about the the regulation, excuse me, the regulation of the property management industry. We have a little bit of other news sort of put in there as well, so we'll just get cracking. This first article relating to Palmerston North by Jono Galuska, Kaingaora eyeing up vacant land for 39 new social houses. So Palmas North is set to get another 39 new social houses as the state housing providers continue to attempt to tackle a massive waiting list. Kaingaora is proposing the houses, which will include a community room and communal spaces, on vacant land in Crewe Crescent. There was an online information session about the plans earlier in the year when the COVID-19 restrictions were in place, but people living nearby have been invited to a drop-in session on Wednesday, which would actually be the 30th of November. You may have missed that by the time you have listened to this. Kaingaora Regional Director Graham Broderick said staff were keen to figure out the community's views on the projects, and the proposal comes on the back of Kaingaora entering a $33.7 million deal to buy 50 homes from an upcoming development on North Street. There is also significant pressure on the housing register, with the waitlist in Palmas North going from 147 families in June 2018 to 762 in June 2022. So Broderick said delivering more housing would make a huge difference to those waiting families. This article by Janine Rankin on stuff.co.nz, industrial land in residential suburb tipped for riverside housing. Terraced houses with views across reserve land to the Manawatu River and beyond could replace a pocket of industry in Palmerston North's Roxburgh Crescent. The City Council is proposing to rezone the Hokefidu land for residential use, creating space for potentially 123 homes. And this article has an aerial view of, of the area, and yes, it would be a lovely spot to have housing. But it's asking for public feedback on the idea before preparing a formal proposal to change the district plan next year. The largest current activity at the site is the Higgins Depot, with the owners already indicating an intention to redevelop for housing. Chief Planning Officer David Murphy described Roxburgh Cres as an industrial area sandwiched between the river and residential neighbours. It had been identified as future housing since 2018. So Murphy said it provided a rare opportunity for Palmas North to create housing within the existing urban area and to respond to the need to free up more land for new houses. It was flat, centrally located and close to green spaces, public transport schools and local shops. 
Current landowners would have options to develop sections for housing, sell to a developer, or carry on with business as usual under existing use rights. The plans for the new neighbourhood would involve subdividing the small reserve at Ruiz Heaney Street Bend, currently acting as a buffer between residential and industrial uses for more housing. And a new access way to the riverside would be created in the middle of the new neighbourhood. The public land swap would have to be managed through a separate process under the Reserves Act. The plan would be to create sections for a mix of housing types on sections between 150 and 400 square metres. And of course it would allow homes of up to three storeys high, which would provide residents with views over the stock banks to the riverside walkway. Sounds nice. The council is hosting a drop-in session for people who want to learn more or ask questions of the planners on Sunday, November the 27th from 1pm to 3pm at the Conference and Function Centre in Main Street. If you did have some feedback, feedback from the public is due by 5pm on Friday, December the 9th. Moving on now to a little bit of news in terms of what's happening with rents in the area. And uh, this, the recent figures have come out from TradeMe and they're telling me that, uh, or telling us, that in Palmas North City, the rents have increased by 10% in the last year. In the last year, for the uh, third quarter, which, uh, that the rents have increased by 10%, Wanganui District by 13.1%, Kapiti Coast by 5.7%. So if you haven't put your rents up recently and you're wondering why things are uh, a little bit harder for you as a landlord at you can always relate this back to this article from Radio New Zealand, rnz.co.nz, rents on the rise again as landlords pass on costs. So the national median weekly rent was $580 last month, matching the record prices recorded in April. And that's an increase of $20 per week or 4% compared to October last year. Like I said, it's higher in our region. That was despite the oversupply of rental Properties on the market. Trade Me Property Sales Director Gavin Lloyd said the rental price increases were partly caused by increasing costs faced by landlords. He said in particular the official cash rate hike was likely to flow onto rental prices. It's a cost for a landlord out there and unfortunately in some cases what we do see is that that cost does come across to rents. Trade Me's data showed every region had rent increases except Wellington. And Manutu Wanganui, it was the highest median weekly rent of all time, hitting $515 per week. Lloyd said the trend of high rental prices was expected to continue over the next year. So that's something which is not the best news for tenants, uh, but as costs keep increasing, uh, often landlords need to put rents up to ensure that they're able to provide uh, the housing with all of the costs that they have and still maintain a situation where it's uh, possibly profitable or at least where they're not having to subsidise it so much. This article is a little bit of a worry, for, again from RNZ, radionewzealand.co.nz. No evictions of unruly tenants by Kainga Ora after receiving more than 6,000 complaints. Kaingaora has yet to cancel any tenancies or evict a single tenant since it was instructed to more vigorously employ the law against unruly renters. The housing agency has, however, moved 113 households, although it admits about half of those are tenants who have chosen to move away from their disruptive neighbours. seems that they just want to shuffle people around rather than focusing on the problem, I guess. 
In February, the government gave Kainga'ura the green light to deal with disruptive tenants using measures including a three-strikes complaint scheme, which is laid out in the Residential Tenancies Act. Since then, the agency has received close to 6,500 complaints about unruly tenants, ranging from relatively minor noise issues through to threats of violence. In response, 21 households have been issued first strike warnings, with seven progressing to a second strike and just one to a final warning. Kainga'ora customer and practice director Shannon Gatfield said no one should have to put up with disruptive neighbours and the three-strike system was having a positive effect. While we've issued only one-third notice, what we've found is issuing the first notice has quite an important effect and two-thirds of people who receive that first notice have not gone on to receive a second. So that's good news, I suppose. Four disruptive households have been moved to other Kainga'ora properties using another section of the Residential Tenancies Act. Often after working with us for a period of time or perhaps after a really severe event, they ultimately acknowledge they cannot repair the relationship with their neighbours and their communities and they'll decide they want to go and willingly move. So that's just a bit there and they go, go through and give uh, specific, uh, specific examples. They, in, later on in this article they actually had some numbers which I found quite interesting, uh, including the 200,000 New Zealanders are tenants of Kainga Ora. So that's uh, pretty amazing, really. Um, so that those 6,500 complaints probably equates to only about 3% of the, the tenants. The majority are absolutely fine by the looks of things. Here's an article from elsewhere in New Zealand. And this is an original batch which has stayed in the same family for decades and selling for $9.25 million. And the photo is quite interesting. It's on Ocean Beach Road, which is in Mount Monganui, but uh, it's surrounded by these amazingly flash-looking houses, and it's this old batch. So it says an original waterfront batch in Mount Monganui that's been in the same family since it was built in the 1960s is now up for sale for a cool $9.25 million. So Ocean Beach Road is one of the uh, most sought-after streets in the Mount, and earlier this year, a three-bedroom house on the same street sold for a record $11 million, the highest ever price for a residential property in the Bay of Plenty, beating the $10.2 million sale of rich lister Colin Giltrap's Mount Penthouse apartment in September 2021. Despite the high price tag and the fact that the house needs a bit of work, there's no shortage of interest. Really, it's just two words that are luring people to the property, beachfront and mount, says John Gardner of Ray White, the agent selling the house. That's a dream for many people, and these properties are highly sought after and rare to find. The current owner, now in her 80s, remembers her father building the house in 1964 and holds treasured memories of long summers growing up by the beach. The bright red paint job on on the Mount Monganui house has divided opinions. It's very rare now to find an original house on the waterfront, said Gardner. Like many houses back then, the house is a huge front lawn, which means the whole site is more than 1,600 square metres, and therein probably lies a lot of the value. So for those balking at the price, it is cheap when compared to another waterfront home further up the coast at Whakamarama, which Sotheby's is marketing at $25 million. If that sale goes through, it will be one of the highest prices ever achieved in New Zealand. And while the top end of the property market has not escaped the slowdown unscathed, activity is steady and prestige properties continue to fetch 10 million plus prices, new figures show. 
So according to CoreLogic figures, the top five sales in the year so far to October were all more than $12 million, and the highest price settled on for, for on a house sale so far this year was a $20 million property on Auckland's Paratai Drive in Oraki, which sold in May. Pretty amazing, really, and if, if that sounds really unaffordable, well, why not try this? This article by Alan Granville on stuff.co.nz this stunning Italian town will pay you $50,000 to move there. Now, we've had articles before on this program about picture-perfect Italian towns willing to give you money to move there. And yes, beautiful Prasish in Puglia is the latest of a long line of town and villages looking for fresh blood to help regeneration. So what's the deal on the table here? Well, those who decide to move to the heel of the boot in Italy, we'll get €30,000 or New Zealand $50,000 to do up an abandoned property. They will then need to buy one of the houses that are part of that deal and these each cost €25,000 each. Local councillor Alfredo Palesi told CNN that there are many empty homes in the historical centre built before 1991 which would like to see alive again with new residents. It's a pity witnessing how our old districts full of history, wonderful architecture and art are slowly emptying. So the €30,000 will be split in two. Part of it's to buy the home and then the rest to do it up. The details are still being worked on, but those brave enough to take up the offer will be rewarded with one of the most unspoilt areas in Italy and Europe with pristine beaches just a short drive away. Sounds nice. In another lifetime... It would have been wonderful. So it merged with another community in 2019 to create the larger town of Prasishi Aquarica, excuse me, which has allowed it to tap into more funds. So to qualify for the scheme, buyers have to fork out for a house built before 1991, agree to move to town permanently and renovate the property. And a couple of months ago, the island of Sardinia was flashing the cash to get people to move there. It launched a scheme worth more than 105 million euro dollars to entice people to come and buy a home on the island. And as I've reported before, Bavona, deep in the heart of Sicily, began selling homes for one euro, as did nearby Musumeli. And uh, so it's pretty pretty amazing. Uh, usually, in those one pound deals, you have to pay a larger deposit. And that was refundable once work has got started. So if the idea of spending multi-millions at the Mount to be by the beach, why not look at the heel of the boot in Italy with a short drive to the beach where you get paid uh, to buy and do up a home? Um, particularly in, in, the, in light of that, this article on stuff.co.nz business by Susan Edmonds says rising interest rates could add $12,000 a year to a $500,000 home loan. The banks set your interest rates, and like any businesses, they want to charge as much as they can, and this is what it means for your interest rates. According to this article, New Zealand may now be in what they call phase two of the property market downturn, CoreLogic says, and rising interest rates could add $12,000 a year to the cost of a half-million-dollar home loan. The Reserve Bank recently raised the official cash rate by 75 basis points to 4.25%. CoreLogic economist Calvin Davidson said the fact this has been anticipated by the banks meant fixed mortgage rates might not move much straight away. However, the floating rates will no doubt rise again shortly, and with more OCR increases in the pipeline, fixed rates are likely to have peaked, uh, unlikely to have peaked yet either. He said the Reserve Bank's prediction that the OCR might need to hit 5.5 next year was a sign of further pain for borrowers. 
So they've done the, the maths on this and they say, indeed, based on the current average fixed mortgage rate across the stock of loans of 3.8, the fortnightly mortgage repayment for every $100,000 of debt at in a 30-year term is around $215, or roughly 5590 per year. But if you're refinancing from that 3.8 to 6, you'd see that repayment jump by $1,602 per year, or more than $8,000 if you had a half-million-dollar loan. So grim, grim reading for those people coming off uh, shortly, fixed terms, and having to refix those. We have to see what happens. However... There are still some uh, plenty of positives uh, with regards uh, where things are, are going and um, the government ha- always has the ability to, to stop the current situation by making lending easier again if they choose to. And that follows on to this article which says, Farewell to Home Ownership. Interest rate hike forces borrowers to reconsider plans. This by Susan Edmund on stuff.co.nz. Banks, uh, Helen Murrell says she's happy. She didn't take her mortgage broker's advice to fix her home loan for a year when she bought a house last year. Instead, she fixed for three years. At the time, she was offered a one-year of 2.6, two-year of 2.99, or a three-year of 3.39. And now she says, I wish I fixed for longer, of course. She said things would be pretty tight if she'd taken the one-year rate and was now rolling off on, on a rate of almost 6%. If I was paying 6% right now, all my disposable income would be covering that gap. I'm actually just trying to live like my interest rate is high and pay down my mortgage. But once interest rates hit 7%, I'll have to get a border if I want to continue to do things, like let my son do swimming lessons and not eat beans and rice for every dinner every night. So it's, uh, it's pretty pretty scary, some of these changes. We'll just move on from, from that one there. Uh, the general gist of that article is... Um, People are, are wondering whether they can afford the lifestyle of paying those interest rates. We then had uh, this article from again from Susan Edmonds. She's doing a lot of uh, market analysis, and she says, "What will the housing market look like in November 2023?" And has three experts weigh in. Tony Alexander, the independent economist, thinks the housing market's fortunes may be turning by this time next year. He says, I don't expect an improvement to be underway in terms of house prices rising slightly, investors coming back into the market in anticipation of a change of government, and first home buyers will probably be a bit stronger than they are now. He says, I don't buy into the scenario of it's all going to be doom and gloom and it's all going to fall away, something horrible out here. He said the official cash rate increase this week had already been largely priced in, so the focus was on what Orr said. It was all about trying to scare people and to get the recession, talk about getting a recession up and running. Calvin Davidson, CoreLogic uh, property economist, excuse me, rustling my pages, said this week's update from the Reserve Bank had changed his view on what be, might be happening at the end of next year. For a while there, I might have said sales activity would be starting to pick up, house prices, if not rising necessarily, at least not falling. But he said now it's more likely to be the case in 2024 rather than 2023. He says, I'm aware of the risk that there might be an element of the Reserve Bank talking a big game, trying to scare inflation down without having to deliver the forecast rate hikes. Monetary policy works with a lag and there's already been a big hit delivered. Does it all hit everyone early next year so they don't need to raise the OCR that far? There's still the possibility we might see property sales pick up again at the end of next year and might see prices flatline. Miles Workman, the ANZ senior economist, was expecting a 27% peak 
to trough fall in house prices when adjusted for wage growth or 18% in nominal terms. Fair to say, developments this week present fresh downside risk to this forecast. He said now the Reserve Bank had shown how serious it was about getting inflation down, he would be watching for the potential shock value in the housing market. So I have to wait and see, just different opinions there on, on what might happen. Um, and we're now looking at also some property-related uh, property management news from the last week or so. This from Megan Woods and uh, – sorry, Megan Woods. This from Kevin Stent and stuff talking about Megan Woods announcing rental sector changes. Residential property managers regulated, healthy home standards extended, Housing Minister Megan Woods says. So residential property managers and treatment of houses contaminated by methamphetamine will be regulated and the healthy home standards deadline has been extended in new rental sector measures, Housing Minister Megan Woods announced recently. And uh, I'll, I'll move on a little there to uh, an article about meth mania. And this one by Rob Stock of Stuff. It says, meth mania ended four years ago, but why has the government been so slow to clean up meth contamination standards? Property investor Sue Harrison had a property sale fall over in early 2018 after low levels of meth contamination were found in a rental home she owned. The country was gripped by what she calls meth contamination mania and even small amounts of contamination posing no threat to human health were enough to derail a sale. I remember that too. But just weeks later, meth mania suffered a fatal blow from the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor, Sir Peter Gluckman, who the government had asked to look into meth contamination. Their report said there was no evidence of harm to human health from third-hand exposure to meth residue on walls and rental properties where the drug had been smoked. It was a huge blow to the private meth testing industry, which had been doing lucrative meth cleanups, and unfortunately we were involved in some of those too, when they detected contamination at 10 times lower than the level Gluckman said was safe. Yet, four and a half years later, the government has only just begun consultation on meth testing contamination standard for rental homes, with current Housing Minister Megan Woods still blaming National for the dog's breakfast of meth contamination standards. So all that we have at the moment is guidelines. Um, Nothing is actually set in law. What will be set in law, though, is the regulation of property management. This by Miriam Bell on stuff.co.nz. Landlords won't be regulated in property management licensing scheme. So the government's new licensing scheme for rental property managers will not include landlords who manage their own properties, and some people are not happy about that. Calls to regulate property management industry have increased in recent years, and the Labour Party campaigned on a promise of reform in the last election. On Wednesday, the government proposed a licensing scheme which would make property managers who manage tenancies on behalf of landlords subject to a code of compliance and a fit and proper person test. This is great news. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Tenants or landlords would be able to complain about the behaviour of property managers and individuals or organisations could face levies. Property managers would need to complete training before starting in the job and undergo continuing professional development. The Property Investors Federation and the Real Estate Institute welcomed the proposals, but the Residential Property Managers Association was not impressed. Association Chairman David Pearce said landlords who manage their own properties would not be subject to the regulation scheme, which meant it was a half-baked affair. And here's the important part. More than half of rental properties are managed by private landlords, not property managers, so only half the industry would be regulated and the government aims would not be achieved, he said. 
Associate Housing Minister Porto Williams has indicated she is open to talking about private landlords during the submission process and we will be raising the issue. Renters United spokesman Geordie uh, Rogers excuse me, said he was concerned that private landlords were not included in the scheme as it was meant most of those providing rental property services would not be covered. He says, while it's not perfect, the proposal has the bones in place for a framework that will be transformative for the rights of tenants all around the country and make a material difference for them. Property Investor Federation Chief uh, Executive Officer Sharon Corwick said it would be a relief for many landlords who had incurred costs due to a bad property manager. The proposed scheme looked promising to her and she was happy it did not extend to private landlords as most owned only one or two properties which would make it cost prohibited. She says, as the proposals point out, landlords are covered by the Residential Tenancies Act anyway, but the Federation also provides our members with property management training so they can provide a better service to their tenants. So it's going to be interesting um, because the regulation of the industry really is overdue and it's something that we've been um, hoping for since 2008. It just means that um, regulation means that there should be better properties uh, better management and tenants have safer homes and landlords can know and trust their property managers. In an unregulated industry, anyone can open a property management company at any time. Uh, so overall, there is broad support, according to an article on landlords.co.nz, for regulation of property managers. And that goes right across many of the bodies. Um, I just feel a little bit let down that there were 182 submissions in favour of also uh, putting some regulation in place for private landlords and those were ignored uh, by the government. Now what would have happened there uh, if, and something that I've talked about before on the show was there's no reason to have two tiers of regulation or regulations that include two tiers of landlord. Those that have or are responsible for looking after say three or less properties who still have to have a certain amount of training have to have, uh, they have to have knowledge of the law and uh, these sorts of things, and then a higher tier for property managers so that they're having all the background checks on on the people working in the industry, uh, fines and levies and so forth. So that's where it is possible to do both, just create a minimum edu- educational standard for private landlords, which would mean that the tenants are going to get uh, looked after in a more appropriate and better way. So if um, private landlords had to pass a test and maybe do that uh, once a year, something like that, to keep their, their uh, say, a licence current, then that would be a very good thing. Otherwise, uh, I think the government really has missed a prime opportunity to really improve things and improve things for tenants and landlords by setting out the rules around bad uh, landlord behaviour. And while they say the Tenancy Act does allow for the punishment of bad landlording by tenants, uh, really, if we look at it the other way around, if there was better education and training of all landlords, then that would create a much better experience, in my view. So that's all we've got time for on this week's show. You've been listening to Property Matters here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo, irirangi o natangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, and you can find me by Googling Greg Watson and Property Matters or finding this on mprmanawatupeoplesradio.nz or where all good podcasts are found. Thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you next week.
If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz Support app. this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.